0: Hello faithful listeners, this is Pastor John Clowater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast Thanks for being here, thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead
1: A reading from Psalm twenty-two. You who fear the Lord, give praise. All you of Jacob's line, give glory. Stand in awe of the Lord, all you offspring of Israel. For the Lord does not despise despise nor appear the poor in their poverty. Neither is the Lord's face hidden from them. But when they cry out, the Lord hears them. For you comes my praise in the great assembly. I will perform my bows in the sight of those who fear the Lord. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Let those who seek the Lord give praise. May your hearts live forever. The word of the Lord. Peace be to God. what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels, the gospel of the Lord.
0: You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, my friends. In Christ. What does Jesus really want from me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Elaine has. Elaine, who turned a hundred a few weeks ago, frequently prays to God, Okay, Lord, you gave me another day. Now let me use it. How can I help? Now, sometimes her conclusion is that what she's here for is to drive her daughter nuts, but she has so much life and spirit that it's just amazing to see how how even at a hundred, Elaine is someone who truly captures that question and and is all honestly pondering like, okay, God, what do you want from me today? You know, Elaine lived during the depression. And so that attitude of, I don't care how poor you are, when someone's in need, that's when they need to be uh, taken care of. That's when they need to know that they're worth something to someone else. She talked about church as always playing a vital role in her life, especially growing up, and that was just part of community. Elaine asks a lot of questions to God, a lot of ponderings about what's her purpose, Maybe you've been frustrated with God. You know, I, I, have, I have that experience as well. Like when, when you're trying to find an answer and just for some reason, when you reach out, you feel like the other end is silent. It's been one of those weeks in my family, this, this has been a, a challenging week to say the least. Our, our youngest daughter, Vienna, started feeling some stomach pains earlier in the week. And we didn't think much of it at the time. She's usually pretty resilient, and she doesn't complain, uh, like her brothers. Um, So when when she's starting to feel that way, we were were a little surprised. Uh, So by Wednesday night, her pains were so intense that we decided, hey, it's time to bring her in. So we brought her into Children's Minneapolis, and that's where my wife Taryn and her spent the next four days on a lovely vacation together in the ER and in the hospital. Now, Vienna had a few visits from her siblings over the couple of days, but for the most part, the two of them were on this Lenten journey together. So Vienna got an IV line, which she loved to show off to her brothers when they would come to visit. She had to get samples. They were checking for infections and diseases and imaging and endoscopy and all of that stuff. I mean, her little body had to go through so much over a few days, and she really went through the ringer just to be able to try to find some answers. You know, hospital visits are a little strange. You know, you, you go to the hospital and you want to find answers, but it's also kind of a relief, a relief when you rule out things. I think that dichotomy of, you know, complicated feelings is, it can be a little draining. And so with Vienna, we kept crossing things off the list that could have caused it. So we would, you know, we'd pray, okay, God, you know, why is she still suffering? What could it be? So in one breath, you're saying, why, God? Why are there no answers? But in the next one, you're like, thanks, God. Thank you that it wasn't something worse. You know, eventually, after getting the green light from her GI doctor, uh, the same doctor who sees her older brother, Oliver, of all things, she finally was given the green light to go home yesterday. And while the pain is reduced, it's not gone. And the answers are still, they're still out there. That, that path to take the next steps are still being paved. We're, we're not sure where they're going to lead, but we do have some ideas on things that we'll try. But the answers really, they just never came. We never got a satisfactory answer to the why. Maybe you've felt that way in different parts of your life. I know that I've felt that throughout my life, and, and I had the opportunity to talk to a seminary professor about that, Dirk Lang. I, I had a conversation with Dirk. Uh, when Oliver was, was just a kid and we got that initial diagnosis about him and and his complex needs that he was going to have. And Dirk told me about the story of his own son who had some similar challenges. And so talking to Dirk really helped me get over that nagging feeling of, well, everything happens for a reason, or things are God's will. And trust me, it's tempting to believe that, but it's not a biblical thought. It's It's a human way of trying to reason like when tough stuff happens. And that's not a bad way to think. It's just, I think there's always more to the story when we just try to simplify it. So I went for a walk with Dirk, trying to make sense of things. And and he framed things for me theologically. And I I remember this conversation from 15 years ago. I mean, he told me I was never going to get a satisfactory why. And so trying to justify things and why things happen whether it was something God imposed, you know, in his theological perspective, it just wasn't anything he was willing to accept. Instead, Dirk pointed to the cross. I was like, wow, okay. He, he talked about how God the Father understands our suffering. God our Father saw his son dying on the cross. Or we think of how Jesus, when his friend Lazarus dies, weeps. So if we think that God doesn't know what we're going through or God doesn't understand our suffering, I think it's a helpful reminder to know that God does suffer with us. Dirk helped me to reframe that suffering in my life, to help me understand that it's not about the why, but it's the how. How am I going to respond when the suffering does happen? There's a bit of, there's something humbling to remember that. So when I am suffering, how do I react? How do I treat others? Do I take that stress? Do I take that fear? Do I take those other emotions out on others? And I'll tell you what, this week I was stressed and I started to notice that I was getting really short-tempered and less patient, especially with Vienna's brothers. And I wasn't responding always in the best way and the way that I wanted to. I could see that I was letting my frustration of not getting answers for her why affect me in how I was treating and how I was responding to others. At one point, I actually named that out loud as I was talking to her brothers. I was like, look, I'm as stressed as you guys are. And it really helped me to stop and think about what I was doing and respond differently. Christ models that for us. You know, it plays out really well in this reading that Britta just shared with us. As he's interacting with his disciples, especially when it comes to Peter, There's a really fascinating way that Jesus interacts. You know, it looks like Peter might be getting scolded in today's reading. Like, if you heard that verse, honestly, could any of us ever recover if Jesus said to you, hey, get behind me, Satan? I'd be like, no way. Like, I would never be able to recover from that. But it's really, really important to understand what Peter is going through and maybe what provoked that response in the first place it was actually in the verses right before what we heard today. Honestly, Peter is having this kind of an epiphany. Like Peter has just had this conversation where Jesus is coming to the disciples. He's like, hey guys, you know, I'm I'm starting to do some things and people are starting to probably wonder about who I am. What do the people say, that, who do the people say that I am? And so the disciples say, well, some of them think you're Elijah or, you know, John the Baptist or even like one of these, one of the prophets. So Jesus is like, okay, but but who do you say that I am? And we get that first glimmer where Peter gets it. And Peter, after witnessing all that he has seen, turns to Jesus and he's like, well, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He answers the question in a way that helps frame the rest of the narrative. Yet in this verse, the very next verse, when Jesus begins to tell them, that he's gonna get rejected by all of the religious leaders and that they're gonna kill him and he'll rise up in three days. What does Peter do? He pulls Jesus aside and you got Peter and Jesus. He's like, Peter's like, Jesus, no, 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 no. You're the Messiah. That's not how this works, Jesus. You're not gonna do that. Do you not even know what the Messiah is supposed to do? Why would that happen to you? Peter has a vision of a Messiah that is completely different than what Jesus is here for. It's one who's going to deliver them from their enemies from the Roman Empire, not from their own people. For Peter, the why just doesn't add up, and so he responds by challenging Jesus. He responds by trying to get ahead of the why without knowing the answers and he thinks that what Jesus, he thinks that's what Jesus wants to show his confidence, to show that he knows what's best. Yet Christ refocuses, points to what's important, points to following Jesus. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And he means take up your cross and follow me literally. The road to Jerusalem is lined with crosses of those who've gone against the empire and failed. The cross is made to be an example as you walk into town to think again about what you're about to do. Taking up the cross literally means that the disciples will be carrying their own instrument of death. I don't know about you, but that's the strangest recruiting pitch that I have ever heard. Now, if Jesus were going to say, hey, take up your weapons and we're going to fight to the death, maybe they would have been more excited to follow. Yet instead, it looks to me as if Jesus is trying to show his disciples something different. They think he's conceding, he's given up. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Taking up the cross and death, that's not the final answer. Someday, for these disciples, it'll make sense. Someday, they will get the why. But do you notice how you never really get the why In that moment, you know, the why for them is the same why as it is for us. It's the cross, the cross, which is our symbol of grace, of forgiveness, of love. It's something we can't understand. And we don't know why Jesus would do this for us, but he does. And we keep coming up short in how we respond. We keep making choices in our best interest and not for others. So what does Jesus want from us? At faith, how will we respond? I think of all of the ways that we are able to invest in our community, invest in each other, invest in our ministry. How can our community step up and step deeper into ministry for the chronically unsheltered neighbors that dwell amongst us? How can faith continue to support the needs of refugees that are new to our state? Or maybe if we ask ourselves the same question that Elaine does when she wakes up. Okay, God, how can I help today? Whether you're one or a hundred, we know that God has something in store for us, that we can respond, that we can do something. And maybe we don't know why there's all this suffering in our world, and we don't know why all of this stuff is going on. But we do know that we just need to respond. What does Jesus want from us? Well, it's to deny ourselves. It's to let go of our greed, to let go of our selfishness, to let go of our fear, to let go of our anger, to let go of all of those emotions and feelings when we feel out of control, to remember that we're not carrying the cross alone. We carry the burdens and sufferings together. Christ is leading the way. Follow Jesus and put Christ at the center of our lives. Amen.